Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Valentine's Day, Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. Happy birthday to my sister, Ruthie Bloom. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and uh, American Enterprise Institute senior fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And counting down until <clears throat> his last podcast on Friday, associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, apparently at 11 a.m. Uh, this morning, uh, we're recording this at uh, around 8 uh nikki haley the former governor of south carolina and the former un ambassador will declare for president she has a video out this morning a three-minute video that is very interesting uh in terms of what it is that she emphasizes the video is a a full-throated and implicit implicit it's not full-throated because it's implicit so i don't know why i would say full-throated it's the opposite of full-throated it's like not throated but very implicit assault on donald trump from beginning to end um it starts with her talking about uh having uh, grown up as a minority in south carolina uh not black not white different but her her mother saying to her that you seek what you have in common with people. You don't emphasize what's different. And this is very important. And this is exactly what our country and essentially liberals are failing to do. And then there's a bunch of footage of the 1619 Project, people talking about racism uh, on, on cable networks. And uh, the implicit promise there is that she will bring the country together uh, as a more harmonious uh, society. Later in the video, she references her handling of the Dylan Roof uh, mass killing at the uh, AME church in Charleston. And all of that. And then she says, we have to do better. We have to run differently. Republicans have lost seven, have lost the popular vote in seven of the last eight elections we cannot go on this way. And so the video itself essentially says we need to reach out to people who are not traditional or conventional Republican voters in order to win. And obviously one of the people who lost the popular vote twice was Donald Trump. And uh, and the emphasis on harmony rather than um, dividing us, I think was pretty clearly an attack on Trump. Um, and there are a couple of other things there that I can't quite remember. So, uh, and she said, we need a new generation of leaders. Um, she said, Joe Biden has been terrible or his record is terrible and should be easy to run against, but we have some problems. And I think those problems are Trump. So it's interesting. She is signaling that she is running as an anti-Trump candidate. Uh, from his cabinet, but of course left in 2018, never endorsed Trump for president. Maybe she may have pseudo-endorsed him in 2020, but when he was running in 2016, first she supported Rubio, then she supported Cruz. She said grudgingly as the governor of South Carolina that she had voted for him but was not a fan. So she has been trying to walk this tightrope of saying that she was uh, 
a good UN ambassador, but was not part of his inner circle and uh, is not his friend. She said something like friend is a very uh, broad term, uh, but did not support uh, the impeachment, uh, either impeachment. And so she's been trying to sort of walk this fine line with him, did say she wouldn't run. At some point, she said she wouldn't run if he was going to run again. Clearly uh, is not holding to that. So anybody chip in. What do you well, think? They, I, I actually like second declared candidate. She did a few things that were interesting. Um, first of all, I don't think she's going to be able to get away with trying to tiptoe the way she did in this video about Trump. One of the lines she has in there is like, you know, I, we I stand up to bullies. Well, she worked for a bully. So you can't really like that. She's going to have to address, I think, head on at some point in her campaign the fact that she worked for Trump and and what what how she's going to distinguish herself in terms of governance from the guy she worked for before. So she did highlight some of her kind of foreign policy experience. Right. There was a lot of footage of her as UN ambassador, you know, overseas talking about um, she used it to contrast how grateful we should be to be Americans. I like that message. I like stand for America. It's a good, good, you know, innocuous uh, sort of tagline. The visuals were great. I liked the the visuals she used for the contrast about saying a new generation. So she's not coming out right and saying Trump and Biden are ancient and we need a new we need new leadership because they're old. She showed herself shaking the hands of rather frail looking senior yes. citizens who resemble our current president more than not. So yeah. that was good. But she I like and she actually I did like the way she soft peddled the anti woke stuff. Right. She talked about the socialist left, showed some footage of Bernie Sanders and uh, flail, arm flailing AOC. But she didn't go all in on the culture war. She basically said, we need to understand, we need to bring back a sense of pride and respect in our country. This is a great place on earth without kind of getting into the weeds on that. And that I think is a good way to do it. The socialist stuff, I guess, is for the base. I don't, I really don't understand using the word socialist, but all in all, it was a nice thing, but I've heard her speak you know, right after she left the administration, she's always very cautious. And in this current political environment, she's going to have to be a little less cautious, it, even if she's doing this because she wants to be someone's veep. She, she's going to have to get a little more combative in the way that she presents her own ideas, because you can't leave it up to the electorate to try to divine her intent the way we're doing with this campaign. On <laughs> Two things. I think you're right, Christine, that implicit isn't going to do it when it comes to Donald Trump. It will have to be explicit. But these are early days, and there's time for that to develop over the course of a campaign. And it'll likely develop organically. I think she'd probably prefer to be delivering a um, a response rather than an opening salvo. Yeah. Um, second, point. I don't know if being cautious is – she's preternaturally cautious. But I don't know if that's a problem if you're running as she's running on electability. She's clearly framing herself as the electable candidate. And if you're trying to be the electable candidate, and there's a lot of sentiment on the populist right that oh, Republicans don't care about electability anymore. And I don't necessarily know that that's true. It's definitely a proposition that needs to be tested. She wow. intends to test it. But in doing so, she needs to be a very polished figure in order to make the electability argument. Where I think this video fails is, is in this very early stage of this campaign to fail to address head on in the effort to neutralize what will be her singular liability in the very early days, which is her saying, I would not run if Donald Trump runs. She needed to make that plain up front because she'll never she'll be asked about it routinely. In fact, even if she did address it, she probably would be asked about it uh, ad infinitum. But by neutralizing it early on, she could have addressed some of those issues and made the implicit part explicit in some very clear ways. I said I wouldn't run against Donald Trump. 
but I have decided against that. I've changed my mind, and these are the reasons why. And it doesn't have to be a full-throated attack on Donald Trump's person, his personality, the sort of stuff that Republicans really like. But the fact that quite plain, plainly, after I made that decision, all the evidence that we've gotten so far from the electorate suggests that the voters are hungry for something new. It could have been very I, passive um, in that sense. I, I, I don't agree, because for her to have done that would automatically start out the game with her making Donald Trump the focus. And even though, and, and her a sort of a, a yet another sort of cast member. And um, even though she, this is an attack on Trump, I think it was effective because it was not at all a personal attack on Trump. It was about the ideas and themes that, that Trump has brought to the party, which I think is another way of um, her not sort of, ending up in his shadow, ending up uh, sharing a headline with him. The 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 other thing that, that uh, struck me about it, and I'm very curious about how effective this will be, is how unabashedly pro-American it was. Um, there was no beating up on the country. Uh, it was beating up on those who beat up on the country, um, which is a total pivot from the tone uh, that we've been that we have gotten used to hearing from the right. I, I I mean I think that's that's right and that the that the beginning with the you know I grew up as a minority you know in South Carolina and I feel blessed every day to be an American we're all blessed every day to be an American look what's going on elsewhere in the world she says the Chinese are committing genocide uh, Iranians are killing opponents of their regime and she says when somebody tells you about a uh, she didn't say which country this was but that that um a soldier takes their their baby and throws it onto a fire that changes you so she is both uh, talking about america she is making reference to her foreign policy credentials as uh america's ambassador to the un i mean people forget and it doesn't really matter that much because it's now five years later or whatever but um she was i think the most popular member of trump's cabinet according to polling uh nobody had a bad word to say about her um and she did seem to be threading this needle because she was a foreign policy person and because she was in new york and not in washington she did not she was not tasked with defending trump you know and and being an apologist for trump and then she left before you know, everything hit the fan in 2019 with the first impeachment and 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 all of that. And she does have a lot of time to address exactly what Noah says she has to address. We don't know how her announcement speech is going to differ from this three-minute video that we're referencing. Maybe she'll go into more detail about that. Maybe she won't. Maybe these are themes that she will roll out over time or will respond to when she is attacked by Trump for the very thing that she did not bring up um you know if you have a mature campaign it's not mature because it's too early and maybe all presidential campaigns except two are unsuccessful every time and they're unsuccessful for a reason so we don't know if she has like a sophisticated strategy but you know um you have to gain this out a little bit and figure out what are you going to say when he comes after you and what is the theme of your campaign? So the theme of the campaign is 
Republicans keep losing. And I'm a good person to be the steward of the party next time because I may be able to appeal to people that Republicans have not been able to get to vote for them. And I'm going to do it while remaining solidly uh, connected to American values and conservative ideas and a love of country. There's all sorts of stuff she didn't mention, didn't reference, you know, her 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 husband uh, is a veteran uh, uh, and, uh, you know, served his country. Um, and so there's stuff that's going to come out over time that will, you know, that will be that will be very different. <clears throat> Look, the why are you running question is an early stage of the campaign question. It'll be overshadowed by events, but it's going to dominate the early stage of the campaign, her campaign. And her problem, I think, is that she doesn't have an answer to that. That's honest. The honest answer is probably I was always going to run for president. I said what I said at the time because it felt good. I'm a very ambitious person and want to be the chief executive of this country. It's not a great answer, but I don't think she has another answer that's honest. Yeah, but no one ever no one no one ever says that. No one ever says I always wanted to run for president, so I'm going to run for president now. Her answer is I'm the I mean the answer for anybody is I am the person for this moment in time. I am the person to lead the country at this moment in time. And there was an effort to sort of address that she, thematically she, in the in the in the in this three minute commercial thingy, whatever it is. What she the, the the part that I think she is trying to distinguish herself from perhaps some of the other candidates who might announce later, particularly other governors, is her claim claiming that she's like a Washington outsider. Like we need to get rid of these Washington insiders. She did the insider outsider thing, which everybody does. I know that's just a trope that all they all use. But she's much less of an outsider, I think, in people's minds because the thing is, post-Trump, anyone who had anything to do with Trump is considered a, a Trump person, whether you like it or not. So she can kind of try to parse, oh, here, I resigned before this moment, or I, I didn't support what happened on January 6th, or I didn't defend him on that. But she's a Trump person. That That's that's on her resume. That actually is going to stick. And she, I think Noah's right. She'll have to address it at some point, although it makes sense she didn't do it in this video. But she's not really an outsider either. So that she's less of an outsider than, say, a Yunkin or a DeSantis or, or any of the other governors who are thinking about running um and she might even be facing a challenge from you know her her own uh, someone else in her own state tim scott is is going on some of these kind of pre-presidential uh visits to different different states to see if there's any interest in his candidacy so i don't buy the outsider thing she's not an outsider um she's very ambitious i have no problem with that i like the line about when you when you kick back in heels it hurts more it's kind of funny and it's she doesn't play on being a woman at all um, in in a lot of what she in her public speaking and in her announcement, she that was the only sort of little hint, which I also liked. Um, but yeah, she's she comes across to me as as an insider. If you if you've been in New York in that UN seat, you're not an outsider. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, to be fair, <clears throat> not to be fair to her, but whatever. I mean, she has never served in Washington. DeSantis, for example, served three terms in the House. <clears throat> she, Tim Scott was a congressman she appointed senator in 2013 when Jim DeMint quit to run the Heritage Foundation in one of the most boneheaded moves in American political history. Not that it was surprising coming from him. Um, but she, you know, she and she served in New York. Doesn't matter. But I mean, it's not I'm not saying she's not a Republican insider. She's obviously a Republican insider, but she may, she isn't really a Washington insider. It doesn't I don't think that matters that much. I do I do think that she 
to the extent that she's a Trump person, the question you have to ask yourself is, who is that a problem for? Is it a problem for Republicans who are going to say she was disloyal to him? If loyalty to Trump is going to be a, a, a leading feature of how this people are evaluated during 2023, he's going to win the nomination. Well, but it's a, loyalty it's a double, to Trump is going to mean voting for Trump. It, but it's that's a double it problem. You're, if you're loyal to Trump, you're going to turn off. If you, well, if you're seen as disloyal to Trump, you're going to turn off the Trump Trump part of the base. If you have Trump on your resume, you're going to turn off another part of the base. Plus, plus, in I, theoretically, more moderate voters in a general election. So it's right. kind of <clears throat> right. But but <laughs> in the Republican frame, uh, being if uh, being loyal or being thought of as a Trump person. Uh, is only a liability if the idea is, uh, this is how I would look at it, you know, outside of, you know, Republican never Trumpers of whom there don't seem to be very many, uh, is that he says you're a person of bad character because you're not being loyal to me. And again, if that message is potent enough to like torpedo somebody else's candidacy, then, I mean, that that will indicate that he really is going to be the nominee. <laughs> like, I think there's another. A... There's there's another problem related, um, which is how does she sort of stay on message, stay um, with this theme of hers, pro-American, we need a change, while saying enough of the right things to the populists who may not even want Trump anymore, who are, who are, you know, shopping around um, for for someone else with uh, someone else who sort of shares their general uh, negative take on the country imported into onto the right into the right by Trump. Um, how does she sort of get them on board, reassure them while continuing to be make this sort of stark uh, uh claim start to to highlight the stark difference uh between herself and 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 the other candidates regarding her sort of positive pro-american message as you say she's not appealing to them we don't have any indication she's appealing to them maybe she's just not going to appeal to them i mean we uh, again i don't know if she's making this bet but it's a pretty it's not a bad bet to make that that message resonates with a very loud minority of the of the Republican primary electorate and you can win with division. Um here's an interesting loyalty uh twist on on Nikki Haley. Uh Christine alluded to the fact that Tim Scott, her fellow South Carolinian is apparently on the verge or very close to himself announcing and they're friends. They're president. Friends. They're friends. Uh, she actually lived in his congressional district. They live 10 miles away from each other or something like that near Charleston. And um, and she made him senator. Like she appointed him senator. And um, she, because of the Trump thing, is not really going to be able to make the quiet case to donors and stuff that he's being disloyal to her by running. She announces first you know, she she appointed him. She made him senator. Like it's her turn. Um, I she's not going to be able to make that argument uh, successfully. She's also, I think, no younger. woman in politics should make that argument after Hillary Clinton. It's the I know, worst but, argument. Uh, 
Yeah, she's also younger than he is. So if you're if you're in the situation which you say, okay, these are ambitious people who want to run for president, they get one big bite, one shot. Uh, Tim Scott is um, 57, 58. She's 51. He's also got, but he's also got like over $20 million in an account, like a uh, fundraising. Like he's got money already that he can transfer yeah. to presidential. I mean, if they're yeah. both on the ballot by the time South Carolina actually votes, it would be a spectacular disaster for one, both of them, or the Republican Party generally, and maybe all three. Because one of them uh, is going to have a deliver a very bad performance in their home state, which they'll never escape. If they're both on the ballot in this various two establishmentarian candidates in an establishmentarian state with establishmentarian voters splitting the establishmentarian vote, that's the end of that. They'll ratify whatever verdict Iowa and New Hampshire render. And everybody could come out of this looking like they sabotaged yeah. the Republicans' effort to escape Trump's event horizon. Yeah. And now, if you really <clears throat> want to get into the ridiculous weeds of, you know, like wild psychotic speculation, you know, they also can't run together uh on a on a ticket because they're both from the same state and you cannot actually um run in the same state you may remember that dick cheney had to change his home state from texas back to wyoming uh you know he had to reestablish residency in wyoming to be uh to be george w bush's running mate because the constitution uh forbids the vice president and the president from being from the same state which is a which is an anachronism in many ways but i don't know it prevents a kamala harris gavin newsom ticket so it's probably a good thing to (laughs) continue to support uh fair enough um anyway uh it's interesting because uh because uh you know of course the only thing anybody has really has really been thinking or talking about is the is the head to head Trump versus DeSantis. Then we got this poll last week that showed that that Haley added to the mix actually does pull a respectable number of voters. If you believe this one poll, 11, 12 percent, like double being being in double digits a year out when, you know, nobody else is except for Trump and DeSantis is not a bad calling card position you know you don't know if DeSantis is going to run you don't know if if Trump is going to is going to fold clearly there is a body of opinion among Republicans that is that remembers her fondly or thinks of her fondly or positively I will say one last thing and then we should move on um the perform her as a as a like as a tv and movie critic um, her performance was very spotty in this video. She seemed at the beginning almost anesthetized. She was speaking very slowly and without affect and overly deliberately pronouncing her words. She did not seem fluent and she did not seem like full of the energy you would want to show as the young, vibrant, new hope for the future. And I don't know whether that's a species of how this was filmed or when it was filmed and how she's going to come across when she speaks live. But um, but uh, that was, a, I think, is a little bit, should be a little bit worrying to anybody who was really enthusiastic about her candidacy. I mean, this is a, it's a very deliberate, conscious thing you're presenting this video which lives forever on the internet is her you know introduction to herself as a president introduction to her as a presidential candidate 
And if she seems a little low energy, to use Trump's term about Jeb Bush, you know, that's not that's not the biggest positive. Anybody else have the yeah, same I, impression? I'm, I'm actually surprised to hear you say that. I, I, I'll, I'll, watch, I'll watch it again looking for that okay. because I didn't actually get that. And what did strike me as interesting is that she's the first person um, to jump into this with, well, essentially the first person to jump into it aside from Trump, period. But she's the first person um, in the, you know, Republican presidential firmament in a long time who I think has natural charisma. Uh, Whatever you think of DeSantis, he's kind of wanting there. Um, Trump's got a different brand of magnetism. It's, you know, it's 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 it is a charisma of a sort, but um, she's got, um, uh, uh, I think, sort of an automatic likability um, that uh, has has been uh, almost entirely absent. Um, and she's and she's won some forward. tough races on her political rise. Like she actually challenged, you know, she had tough races in South Carolina that she won over. You know, she kept she kept winning and she she did well. I agree with Abe about her demeanor. And in fact, what might be seen as a liability in, in a normal political culture in this one will be useful to her. She oh, she does come across not as certainly not as combative as Trump and not even as combative as Ron DeSantis can be. She's kind of like a she's very competent. She she uh, she can be a little boring in her public speech. Speaking, but that can be worked on, obviously, with the help of, you know, political consultants. But she comes across as competent, like she's the adult in the room often on uh, certainly on her side of the aisle. If you imagine debate situations, she's going to get her point across. She's not going to pick unnecessary fights. She's also not going to get all wound up or, you know, um, uh, what's I, I can't quite think of the word to describe Hillary. But Hillary was always seemed like she had her entitled back up anytime someone challenged her. Haley's good at being challenged and then responds forcefully with with a kind of good solid thing. So she's she's quite good. She was great at the U.N. when she needed to be forceful about the United States position. So she has a a quiet set of skills that might on a national stage, especially now that some time has passed since she did this before, really make her shine compared to some of the belligerent guys yelling at each other. If that if it comes to that, if it comes to Trump and DeSantis shouting about CRT, she might actually emerge as a kind of, all right, calm down, boys. Let's let's talk about how we fix this or something. It's it's a possibility, at least. OK, um, let, let, let's move on. We just got numbers on uh, on January, the January inflation rate. And I want to point out how this is now being framed because it's pretty striking. So um, the inflation rate, the annual inflation rate, um, January to January uh, was 6.4%. Um, That's horrible. I mean, it's not nine percent, which is what it was at its worst, uh, you know, year year to year, um, which I think was in June of 2022. But it's six point four percent. But we're going to be spun that this is a very positive development because it's down from December when it was six point five percent. Now it's good if inflation is, as they say, cooling. Uh a tenth of a percentage point is not a lot of cooling. Um, and the inflation rate is still startlingly high, uh, given the fact that we basically saw very little inflation over the previous 40 years. And maybe, you know, uh, economic heads can can try to, you know, sort of happy face this for, for Biden, uh, which is essentially why you would happy face it. 
as I say, it's and industry it's, concerns. They, you know, they're they're protecting their own industry. The industry, the expectations that are set by the surveys of the kind that's that's their their northern star. And CPI came in as expen- expected month over month up by a half a point. The core CPI, which is like all the takeaway fuel and food, that came up a tenth of a point higher than expectations. And the consumer price index is up six point four percent. They expected six point two percent. And so the Fed is seeing inflation come back right as we got a jobs report that blew expectations out of the water. Expected like 200,000 jobs, we got half a million. So what is this? What is Jay Powell seeing here? He's seeing an economy that just he can't cool no matter how hard he tries. So he has to try harder. What else can he do? Well, we already got a, a message about what what he should do again from media framing last week, which is, hey, you know what? There may not be a recession this year. You know, maybe we're just going to escape all the trouble because things are just so good. The economy is so hot, and that is very complicated, right? I mean, so of course you don't want there to be a recession. Of course, it would be better if the economy grew instead of shrank. Of course, it would be better. If, but but um, the the explosive possibilities, this idea that somehow inflation is now naturally coming down while job growth is exploding, that is not, you know, that is certainly possible. I mean, it's possible that, you know, gravity doesn't exist. But, I mean, if there's upward pressure on wages and – and um, consumers have more money in their pockets, even if a lot of that is being eaten away by inflation. You have a hedge against the ability of inflation to go down very much. So I'm looking at this in a in an infographic it tells you where inflation is and where it's gone down is is really almost exclusively limited to energy prices, which is basically just fuel. In fact, not even just energy generally. Food is still very high, but it's stable. Goods are declining. But services are up and and keep going up. And services, yeah. this is a service economy. That's where most people are going to feel it, notice it, and be annoyed by it. It's well, not services just are going up because the because the cost of services is right. employment. And when yeah. you have, and it's great, by the way, it's great that there is low unemployment and that workers are now productive. Workers are now facing real competition for their labor and are able to negotiate. And and do better in the marketplace, um, but it it that doesn't address the thing that you brought up, which is what is the Fed going to do here? Because another um, black swan event with energy or something like it. Yeah, we've all had this experience. We were paying five and a half dollars for a gallon of gas in the summer, and we're now paying three and a half dollars for a gallon of gas. Nobody who has a car doesn't know this and isn't, you know, feeling a lot more, I don't know, calm about going to the gas station than, than we were in the summer. But um, relying on energy prices to remain low to help you out is a fool's errand. You don't know how energy is going to play. You don't know what could happen to disrupt supplies. And you don't know... You know, like energy is a very, uh, very, very volatile thing in the marketplace. So um, and it's weird, you know, because it's so hard to read this 
like when I read out was that inflation was going down a little teeny weeny little bit, right? Cooling, cooling inflation. But Noah, what you read from a different angle was that inflation is increasing in certain sectors that are so again they can happy they can spin this all they want into a more sanguine frame but um people are either going to feel this or they're not going to feel it and they're going to make political judgment based on it or they're not going to make political judgments based on it we do know that overall when you ask people how they're doing economically they seem to be more negative than a lot of these numbers would warrant and if they are the only explanation for it is inflation. I mean, there's some polarization stuff, right? So Republicans don't want to admit that things are better or something like that. So they're they're pulling the numbers down. But if people actually are feeling pessimistic about where they are, how they're doing compared to where they were doing before and all that, the only reason for that that you can discern in American life is inflation. And inflation is getting a teeny bit better. Now, once the oil shock, you know, now that now that energy prices have moderated, but food prices aren't moderating, I think you just said, and services costs are not moderating. That's not something that's not that's not a direct to consumer problem. Like you don't pay for services like that, you know, uh, in, in the same way, like at the at the cash register. But um, I don't know. I, I just. Uh, I, the the desire of the press to declare that our in our economic situation is not problematic is is very interesting to me you know you want to be america and not anybody else but um i mean i also don't hear like this is america you know why everything is good this is, gets back to nikki haley you know why everything is you know why we're coming back and we have uh, low unemployment and all this because we're American, we're great, and this is what what happens. Like we are resilient, and we bounce back from adversity, like the COVID or this or that. And the people who want to take the who want to take the victory lap for what's going on here, you know, the Democratic Party and the Biden administration, they don't really think that about America. No, anymore. they think you should thank the government for anything that's good in your life. It's it's yeah. a version of the Obama. You didn't build that. Like there's a there's a tone of. You know, look at how our largesse, our our government, you know, what we spent on you, which of course is our money because they they only get it because of taxation. But there that that was actually a, a sort of something we didn't discuss about Biden's State of the Union. There was very much a sort of look at what look at what I've done for you, the government does for you, rather than a uh, you know I'm proud of the resilience of the American people and what they've done for themselves. And that is a huge. That's always been a contrast between the left and the right. But right now, the right needs to remember that and. And I, I do think Haley's a good wouldn't be a terrible messenger for that. But there are plenty of other Republicans who could do that, too. That's not something Trump was ever interested in. Yeah. OK, well, we're 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 giving you a short one today. I think we're going to we're going to we're going to call a halt to the proceedings before before we uh, no balloon start, talk uh, repeating ourselves. We just we talk and talk and talk about the balloon and we don't get anywhere. You know why? Because they're because like, they're nobody's they don't telling know what anyone the hell is anything. Going on. Yeah, it's very, uh, it. it's very including our senators. <laughs> now we're teasing them. Got to give them some balloon talk. There's talk to oh. be had about the balloon. No, but 
all talk that we can have about the balloon. So uh, Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, came out and said, last one we shot down, it didn't seem to have any net propulsion. There were, didn't seem to be being propelled by anything. No, I have the quote. Uh, we got we to gotta okay. give you the full quote because it is okay. mystifying, ponderous. Okay. Okay. It stopped Abe. <laughs> yes, Abe, Abe pointed this out. Well, that I, that's not hard quote. to do, but yeah. I'll give the quote, and then I want Abe's reaction. We assessed whether they possessed any kinetic threat to people on the ground. They did not. We assessed whether they were sending any communication signals. We detected none. We looked to see whether they were maneuvering or had any propulsion capabilities. We saw no signs of that. And we made sure to determine whether or not they were manned. They were not. He went on to say that, Given their altitude, they they presented the three balloons that were shot down over the weekend. We they balloons. We don't know if they're balloons, um, but anyway, he said they represented a threat to civilian uh, aircraft, and that's why they were shot down. But quote, and while we have no specific reason to suspect they were conducting surveillance of any kind, we could not rule that out. Even though he just said they saw no signs of that at all. Abe picked up on something. He was watching this, and Abe picked up on, on an interesting observation. I don't want to steal it from you, please. Well, I don't understand what, according to John Kirby's description, I don't understand what flies at 20,000 feet, um, shows no signs of a propulsion mechanism, and isn't a balloon. Why, why won't you say it's a balloon? If it's not a balloon and the rest of your description is accurate, then we are dealing, in fact, with alien technology. <laughs> I don't but, understand. But they did rule that out. I mean, they're and very confident they ruled that it's out. It's an object experiencing balloon-like qualities. <laughs> yes. Let me say I'm joking. I don't. I don't that is. Not I'm not thing. joking. I think this is a spectacular cock-up. I oh, think I'm serious about that. Shooting okay. objects out of the sky over Northern Command for the first time in American history, just because. We started noticing a lot of them. We broadened the aperture, saw a bunch of them, all of a sudden said, oh, God, we got to start shooting things out of the sky. And it's just wreckage falling from the sky over what may be hobbyist balloons. These How missiles cost $400,000 a pop, by the way. OK, first of all, I just want to who's who they keep saying things like, you know, when you when you broaden the radar, it turns out there's a lot of junk up there. That's what that's what somebody's I can't remember who said this. Like, so you broaden the aperture so you see more. You set the radar settings at a more sensitive, sort of like when you the TSA, you know, sets it off so that, you know, your belt buckle or whatever, you know, so that like your, you know, a piece of metal in your ear, you know, so your earring sets off the the you know, the metal detector at the airport. So they can set it to incredibly sensitive settings. So apparently you can do this with radar. So they do that, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of junk up there. Really? There is? Like, what is it? What do you mean there's junk up there? What do you mean there's junk 20,000 feet in the air? If there is, then why don't planes crash into it all the time? I, I mean, there's something fishy about that whole line. Well, now, you know, look, whew, we never saw this before. There are planes flying between twenty and 30,000 feet thousands of times a day crisscrossing America, like, what are you talking about? But previously, we would, I mean, airports closed because there's a, a hobbyist drone in the airspace accidentally on a semi-regular basis. It's not it's not too rare. It's rare, but it's not it's not all so rare that you wouldn't think it, you know, doesn't make headlines every so often. But then when we broaden out, as you say, broaden out these detection mechanisms, and then all of a sudden you had airspaces closing over half the continental United States. It's it's just a function of the surveillance or just a function of the of the radar. 
But we don't know that. See, the weird part Which means is, it's not a threat to civil aviation because it has well, if this is the status quo and it's never been a threat before, then it's the status quo. But Kirby said there's no people, there's no motor, there's no kinetic threat, and there's no surveillance. Right. So, but what is it? I, I mean, people are sending up balloons 20,000 feet into the air. Who? What do they get out of it? I mean, is it like the balloon that you let go after a birthday party and it goes up into the sky? It's it a big mylar happy birthday balloon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what if it's, yeah, what if it's like something and there are two of them and one says one and one says six and it was for a sweet 16 party. I mean, <laughs> that's the part of this that is you get into sort of the, you know, the comedy that they, they are. So they underreacted. So I guess Noah's theory, implicit theory, back to implicit ideas, is that they underreacted to the to the initial threat. And now they are overreacting. And it is a classic overreaction. And as you say, yeah, we're using we're using these four hundred thousand uh, dollar missiles to shoot down a mylar balloon that is floating in space. If that is or not in space, in the lower atmosphere or whatever. It's not, is it even in the atmosphere? I don't know what four miles yes. up is with does that is that yeah, called yeah, atmosphere? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you very much for your <laughs> astrophysics. I don't know lesson. what sphere it is, but it's it's low enough yeah. that I think it's just okay. it's the one we breathe. Right. Okay. So it's four. So so they're four. It's four miles up. Okay. I'm just saying there aren't a lot of balloons up there because planes are flying constantly. So I don't believe that. I don't believe that there are thousands of pieces of space junk that are that are aircraft are like dodging on on a daily basis. I don't believe that to be the case. I've flown too many times myself to know it's not like, oops, go up 5,000 feet to avoid something and then go back down. So so that's some kind of cock and bull story somebody is telling. Um, but that's the problem. They are, not, they are not instilling confidence. They continue to not instill confidence. That they know what the hell is, is going on. And... Um, and so I mean, I don't, they're, it's they're not reassuring for your Kirby to come in and say it's nothing. Why isn't everybody so overreacting? Why are you this? firing a missile at it? Exactly. This is the. I mean, there's flaming wreckage falling out of the sky. <laughs> the the North America became a live fire zone for the first time in its history, and they're being very flip about it. Oh, you know, it's it's we can safely say it's not aliens. This is serious. This is incredibly serious, and no one's treating it very seriously. It's kind of shocking. Well, I don't think no one's treating it seriously. I mean, you're you're the press isn't. If, if, if it the Trump administration theory. had said, if the Trump administration started firing missiles at balloons over the weekend, and it was a weekend story, and then they came out and said, "Well, it's definitely not yeah, aliens." People would guys. be in wink, bomb wink, shelters. Wink. Exactly. <laughs> they, would, they, would be in, exactly. they would be in panic would... rooms. Actually, panic yeah. rooms. <laughs> yeah, like that, like <laughs> that crazy thing that happened in Hawaii. You remember that in 2017 yeah. when that bizarre bulletin was released saying that missiles were were going to hit Hawaii, and everybody like ran, and it turned out it was some glitch in the in the communication system. I mean, imagine, yeah, like Trump starts saying they're they're the Chinese are sending balloons at us, and we're blowing them out of the sky, and you know, really the. The entire Upper West Side would be in the fallout shelters that they told us are in our apartment building. And the doomsday clock would be well, ringing. It, yeah, all of it. All yeah. of it. And, yeah. and if Noah's theory is correct, that 
it turns out this is an overreaction after an underreaction. And these are sort of, you know, hobbyist balloons or something. What does that do for the Biden administration's claim that the Trump administration had missed a bunch of these objects? Maybe they hadn't. Uh, If. Yeah, I'm still waiting. I don't know. I think this is very I mean, honestly, though, I do think that, you know, we live in a time in which amnesia news amnesia is almost instantaneous and that we don't even remember what happened two months ago and things bubble up and you're like, oh, this is really going to be big. And then just everybody forgets. This has the potential over time to become a very, very big and pressing political issue about either minimal competence overreaction biden's biden's faulty biden's decision making or lack thereof or or um stubborn whatever it 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 it, i would bet that this will be forgotten six months from now but i i wouldn't place that big a bet on it because this is really weird and something new is going on and uh when weird new things are going on they don't just like go back in their holes. And we now have a whole world of civilian communicators uh, all over the place have can start a Substack or go on medium or something like that, do all kinds of spade work. If the mainstream media like dumps it or forgets it a little like the COVID uh, network of amateurs who were looking at Chinese data that the CDC wasn't looking at, but they're not going to let this go. And we're going to find things out. Yeah, go ahead. It it depends how this resolves. I mean, if we never get clarity on what this is all about, it will not go away. I mean, open source, I follow open source intelligence pretty closely just because it's war news. And we're finding unidentified meteorological balloons all over the planet. The Romanian Air Force scrambled 21 MiG uh, or MiG-21 jets just hours ago, just because they they saw a balloon. There are balloons everywhere. The Chinese balloon, the, the the one that traversed the continent and Colombia over Colombia and Central America, they were real. They exposed a, a real vulnerability. I don't see that reflected in any of the other stuff that we've been shooting down, scrambling over. Ah, uh, it's just it's a very yeah. Or they tell us. They don't know, which is which is the worst thing of all. They don't know what to tell us because they don't know what is happening because things are terrible and they're terrible. And I mean, the president's just going to get away with not talking about the fact that we've been shooting stuff out of the sky over North America on a daily basis. I don't think he will, actually. Sure he will. I, think, I don't he think just, so. He just he just doesn't have to talk. We've no, now established so. that Biden... Trump talked 22 times a day mm-hmm. and, you know, like told you when he was eating a hot dog and stuff like that. And, you know, Biden could flatline on a table three times in a day and we would never know that it happened. And he could go two weeks without speaking. And there is some weird implicit contract going on, particularly since the election proved not to be bad for 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 Democrats that the standard thing which is like why isn't he coming out and giving a briefing about what's going on with these balloons isn't happening well he's the least transparent yeah the press well he sat down for fewer interviews than any other modern president like he does not make himself available to actually be questioned about what his administration is doing so so the public can know right so he doesn't sit down for one-on-one interviews 
he doesn't give press conferences right and he has an idiot as his press spokesman which is mm-hmm. a Karine Jean-Pierre who's a lovely person but um I think has proved herself wildly unequal to this job except if the job is to instill pity in in people in the White House press room so that they don't press her too hard because she's clearly very stressed whenever they ask her hard questions and she's they feel her bad for her. she's got her binder so he has this perfect kind of phalanx of defense and when you say well he's gonna have to speak why is he gonna have to speak because who's gonna make him speak the the general clamor is going to is going to make it a necessity by the way he could shirk it he he, he could not yeah, speak right but, but it, think, he won't but get the away. The clamor would have to be fueled by the press, and the press is actively trying to dampen uh, passions around this issue. I don't see much of a clamor yet. I do think Abe, you're probably right that it becomes a liability way after the fact. If John's right, if I'm right, that this thing isn't necessarily going away, that it ushers in a new kind of way to think about how Chinese surveillance works in this country, and especially how we should respond to it. That's not a conversation that goes away, and not addressing it after the fact in real time could become a liability for the president. But I don't see anybody saying, well, we need to hear from Biden now, except Republicans. You can afford to ignore them. Well, Democrat, the, the Democrats are now starting, you know, the briefing that happened Monday night. Um, a couple of Democrats are like, we still don't know enough here about what's going on. So enough, I think enough Democrats, particularly in the Senate, who have, you know, intelligence uh clearing and should be briefed about what's going on. If they're getting the runaround from the Pentagon and from the Biden administration, they're not going to sit quietly forever about that. I think just because it's a, they're, they're, they're being, if they feel like something's being withheld from them, that's a power dynamic that they're going to at least complain about. And if you already have on the record. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. Sorry. I think everything that goes on in the democratic party is leave Biden alone you know, we dodged a bullet in November and Trump's out there and uh, we don't want Kamala either. So we're going to put no pressure on him. Stop saying we need to put pressure on him. That's all bad. Let him go to Rehoboth. Let him be. People said nasty things about the documents. The document story is quieting down. And yeah, that's also another one. Yeah. Uh-huh. A little bit. Deliberately. They found, they found one document at Pence's house. So that relieves some of the pressure. You know, blah blah blah. I don't know. I I, I just I I feel like he's very well defended here uh, against uh, a, a a story that you could see almost any other president like this would be the only story in the world. We are engaged, as Noah said, in a shooting war over North America that has never there has never been a shoot there has never been <laughs> missiles have never been fired over North America. Ever. I mean, also, this is and this is, I said this on Twitter over the past few years, Americans have gotten very conditioned um, to enormous, strange events um, and upheavals. You know, ha- had this happened before covid, before Trump, the country would be absolutely paralytic, you know, but but you but remember 2006, you remember when that firm Dubai Ports World was going to buy the Port Elizabeth Port right. in New Jersey, that was a two-week story at the top of the news. Un, I mean, it was a preposterous, made-up story. Went on for two weeks. Lead of every newscast. 
Chuck Schumer, you know, found his way, you know, to be on television every day and took advantage of it. That was what happened when there were, you know, deep foreign policy controversies or things like that that involved countries that we were adversarial toward. So, yeah, I mean, you have real history there. But, yeah, that's right. Like, the news is crazy, buys a pass for everybody. I think. I mean, I think you've got, you're you're really onto something there. Um, you know, it's also like the nature of celebrity now. I know this is. I'm now going to sound like old man yells at cloud, but you know, I look at entertainment news, and this just gives you a sense of how evanescent everything is. And it's always a story like this: Travis Barker uh, went on Instagram to attack Phyllis. Harris for being photographed with Jay Strimal. And you don't know who any of these people are. And if you wait, they disappear. And another three names you never heard of. One is on The Bachelor. One is an Instagram influencer. And the third is, you know, like a mass ser a serial killer. And then they go away and another three people come on. So this is her in general the way that our news cycles, or they're not even news cycles anymore. There are no cycles because it's a 24-hour news thing. And it just, you know, you just, your, your attention is ground to dust. So, and that is very helpful if you're somebody like Joe Biden who wants to fly, excuse me for saying this, under the ra radar for the most part. Um, and it is a, you know, it, it's helpful to him when there's trouble. I don't think it's that helpful to him when you want a firm hand on the tiller, but it's helpful to him. Anyway, so, yeah, we got another 10 minutes out of this. I was going to let everybody go, and we made them listen I for fall. another 10 minutes. I wanted, so to, I apologize. I wanted to talk ballooned. <laughs> yeah, I want to also correct something. I said that uh, Nikki Haley was going to announce at 11 a.m. today, Tuesday, but apparently it's 11 a.m. tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, so that there can be uh, 28 hours of people gathering steam to attack her and say nasty things about her. Uh, I don't think that's actually a very wise thing that she's done here to let that video marinate for a day and, and, and a couple of hours before she actually stands up and, and announces her bid for president. Because she just announced her bid for president. So if she's going to do a live event, she should do it right on top of it. But that's that's what do I know. Anyway, tomorrow we'll be back. Brave Christine to know I'm John Podhortz. Keep the candle.